When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sissoko finally waited. Ericsson low. Great ball into the middle. What a save by Heaton. Tonight's Davison Sanchez, Lucas Moura. And belted into the net. Brilliant goal. On debut, Tungay Ondombele has scored the equaliser for Spurs. Lucas Moura clips it. Oh, great goal! Stephen Bergwijn has arrived in North London! That is absolutely incredible on debut! Oh, yay! What a finish for 3-2 from Serge Welcome, welcome to those listening or watching. This is uh, another New Spurs Order host, uh, New Spurs Order pod, first ever of the pod, out of the way already. Um, I'll be your host this evening, X-Pac, uh, and I'm joined by two two lovely, lovely co-hosts. Uh, first off, I've got the, I've got the coach, Coach Dave, fresh <laughs> off his resounding win um, with his team. <laughs> I was going to call you the giant, which you've got written on your streamyard name, but I don't know. You don't. We we've established you weigh less than uh, another person in, on this thing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, it's good to be back. Um, in the words of um, the old R&B classic, been a long time. Shouldn't have left you without a hot take to step to. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, but I'm here and I'm ready to talk um, all things Spurs. Yeah, yeah, there's quite a lot to talk about. And um, speaking of, we've got the monologue Messiah, who's probably sent enough voice notes in this group chat the last week to oh my gosh. make up a recording of his own pod. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. none other than Cypress. Uh, okay, Kevin, then, 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 Ash, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I've I've been in I've been in uh, somewhat. Uh, I wouldn't even say high demand. Just one 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 guy uh, that I know has been. Uh, Trying to trying to get me to come back on, um, a gooner, despicable human being, uh, spreading rumours that I was kicked off. So I had to make my triumphant return and just crash it Who on. Was that? Spurs. If we're naming names, we won't name his name because he likes attention. 
So <laughs> I, do, I do find it funny though. This uh this this is becoming an NSO theme. People lying about their uh height and their weight. Like you got the giant, you got Tobe saying that he's five eleven. This is mad out here. Yeah, for some reason I felt attacked there, but I was just like, no, I've always said yeah. and that I'm average height. Average height. Average height. Yeah, listen, it's it's smoke day today, man. Fair enough. Um, all right, well, I guess we'll kick it off from there then. Um, we'll see the transfer windows just slam shut, and we finally got a deal over the line. Pedro Porro signed, um, making way after. Well, See a couple of right backs left the club, but we'll get onto that. Uh, Dave, what's your initial impression with Poro joining? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll wait to see what he does on the actual pitch. But having watched him against us in the Champions League, I was <clears throat> relatively impressed. And I had to kind of, it's not one of the ones where when January 1st hit, I went, Oh, we need to go get that guy from Portugal. Um, but once the links kind of got a bit firmer and, and, and it looked like it was, you know, being worked on. Yeah, I think for, for us, you know, we, we've suffered over the past 18 months, if not longer, watching certain players, you know, you know, stride down the right hand side, um, not be able to really give us much. We know what our style of play demands. We do need an outlet on the right. Um, and this this guy seems like he can do that better just off face value than, than the options that we currently have. So it's an improvement. Um, but it took 30 odd days to get, get done. But what it was actually like the last day, wasn't it? Yeah. It, you know, it took so long to get done and, and I think it probably caused more um, kind of tension amongst the fan base than anything else. Just, you know, will they, won't they, um, I know I was kind of the impression that they were waiting for maybe Paratici's situation to become a bit more clearer. Um, but still, there was a, there was a couple of weeks from the Juventus ruling between that and, and finally getting this deal over the line. But, you know, initial reports from, from trainers that everyone's impressed. Um, you know, the, the first teams, you know, that whole kind of generic, you know, coaching staff and first team are, you know, over the moon at the new signing, how he's embedded in so quickly. And, and you know, there's comments about him in, in the press conference, I think, today. Um, so we'll see. But like, I'm just excited to, to have the option to see something a bit more dynamic on the right-hand side because it made us very easy to play against <clears throat> when you knew Emerson Royale was getting the pass or number two, um, the dearly departed um, <coughs> cut at the finishing line. <laughs> Uh, Matthew Doherty, you know, it was we were very predictable. Um, if you shut off our service to Kane, if you shut off our flanks, there was nothing happening. So, yes, you know, he, he's he's his profile is that he's dynamic, he's good in 1v1s, loves a good cross, he gets a few assists. So, hopefully, it'll balance things out for us and give us an extra weapon. Um, to play higher up the pitch. And I think for me, from that perspective, that's what I want to see. I want to see us playing higher up the pitch, which you can do when you've got someone who's willing to take the ball to and, and, and kind of drive into the opposition. Cool, cool. That's a good summary. And yourself, Sai? Yeah, I think profile-wise, uh, both from a sort of galvanising the fan base and on-pitch product, he fits the bill. Um, everyone wants to return to the 
the bums off seats error of Aaron Lennon by the sounds of uh, the South Stand and the internets, um, which again, 1v1 players is something that Conte has specifically highlighted being a deficiency in his team. We've all seen it. We've all spoken at, at length about it. Um, so from that regard, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, what I will say, though, is there's always that, that feeling now when we do go and get the player that we've been courting for quite some time. Are they just going to be another flop? Like, I, I, I feel like the last few, whether it's been Endombele, whether it's been, uh, who else is there? Jed Spence. Like, over the last few years, we get the guy that everybody's been clamoring to see and they fall flat on their face and they're gone within two seasons. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm hoping <laughs> for the best, but boy. Part of me thinks you want carnage, just straight carnage and he flops or <laughs> was to join City or Chelsea, like Chelsea instead of us in the window just to see the reaction of fans clamoring for him. But yeah, I'd say <laughs> ideally... Honestly, there's an element of that being true I'll, I'll, I'll be honest he he's one of the people that i'll buy on fm let me put it that way so i i, I feel like he's mm. one of those players that again destiny says that everybody wanted at the club if he bangs fantastic but there's an element of me that yeah at the minute i want to see how bad it can actually get before it gets better because the sense of entitlement, the weird like energy towards transfer windows, the like assessment of of how much we're spending and all of that stuff—it's just tedious and tiring at this point. Uh, so the more the more chaos means that the uh, rebirth, the phoenix rising, will be all that sweeter. Expand on the weird energy a little bit because I think I know what you mean by that where obviously you see a lot of our fans comparing and spend to, to Chelsea. It's like every every sign in Chelsea but it's like, well, look how much they've been spending for this and that and this and that. It's like, yeah, but they're having to do so much making up for from from where they were and trying to build themselves back up to what we are, I guess, now. Um but I mean, what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, but it's what only six months, that? though. It's only a six-month decline. They haven't been that bad for so long. By, by weird energy, I think I think that our obviously the situation on the other side of North London speaks for itself, in it. Like they're literally mm. in the a, a similar but better position than we were at our peak in Premier League era, right? So I understand the angst towards that side a little bit more. On the other side, we're comparing our transfer windows, what, two years removed from COVID? Uh, what What is it now? When did the stadium open? What, four years since getting a new stadium? We're comparing our spending to the likes of Chelsea, who have literally broken the mould about three times over the last uh, two decades. We're comparing our spending to Manchester United, who are a transcendent football club, whose financial like uh, clout just totally outweighs what anybody else can can realistically do in England. And 
people's reasoning behind it is we get charged the most for our season tickets. Like first, first and foremost, if you've been to uh, White Hart Lane or the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium over the last however long, you've heard somebody justify ill behaviour by the fact that they have a season ticket, right? So that just lets you know everything you need to know. People feel like their admission price gives them an entitlement to see whatever they want to occur at the football club. And as a customer, I just feel like that's weird. I feel like that's strange. I don't agree with the, the justification of ill behaviour with obviously paying this and that much for match tickets and season tickets. But do fans have a point where they say they want to see the ambition matched with said ticket prices matched like on the pitch? I think I think that would be valid if we didn't live in one of the most expensive cities in the world. I feel like that would be totally valid if we didn't just build a stadium and had an oligarch funding us. Then, then yeah, I would totally align those two theories. But the fact of the matter is, is it has to be paid for from somewhere. And unfortunately, we're the people who follow the club uh, the most vehemently, who are going to be the people that fund the sort of upward trajectory of the club, right? Know that the board is here to make the club self-sustainable, whatever that means to them. Right, they define the criteria for that. But the fact of the matter is, is the finances in football do not come from fans. They don't. They haven't for the better part of 15 years. Right. Broadcast fees are the number one intake for football clubs, pretty much, in terms of the footballing side of the game. We saw through COVID, teams were still making enough money to run the football club without fans being in the in the stadium, without gate receipts. Merchandising is a massive one. Commercial trumps everything else. So we're, we're such a small part of the pie, but because we have that sort of uh, tribalism about us, we, we, we feel like we're more important than we are. And that, that's me saying it after being a sperm for what, what is it now, like 20 plus, 25 plus years or something like that, to where I've seen where the correlations are and they're not in how much I spend. They're not. All I can do as a fan is turn up on the day, give as much of my energy, make it like a spirit ball type uh, environment and hope for the best. Mm. That's the only impact I have. So there comes a point where me as a reasonable human being of sound mind sits there and says, is it really worth me losing more hair? kick and scream about how the club are being run like they're not going anywhere they're not going anywhere and no matter how many times we write on our bed sheets piss off our missus because she's got to scrub out Enoch out from our lovely linen it's not going to change anything it's ultimately not the only way you can conceivably change to not turn up don't spend any money don't spend any money that would be the only way and people aren't willing to do that. So at this point, it's just like, let the carnage ensue, mate. Fair enough. Fair enough. It. I do think some of the board, um, they obviously do listen to a lot of the criticism. I do think um, a lot of these kind of outrage-related kind of posts and chants contributed to them really having more urgency to 
get the Poro deal over the line. Like, I fear without much protest, we might have had another Jamatinho situation. But I guess we'll never know. I think they would have got him in regardless, honestly. They had to because otherwise otherwise you you cripple the potential for this club to finish in Champions League spots, which again is a bigger revenue driver than gate receipts for the remaining home games. Like, it's that simple as far as I'm concerned. How much does the stadium make per match day again? I'm just 800. To think. <clears throat> is it 800 grand? Something like that. I thought it was like in the millions. I thought it was like 2 million. How much um, are you winning the Champions League? If it's winning the Champions League, or I thought I know. you would qualify and <clears throat> get past the group stage, I think you get a win for something like 40, 50 you million. TV, TV revenue. You've got the gate receipts, which obviously, as I said, are a small drop in the ocean. And then you have the winning winnings for each game that you win. Like, it's, 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 it's different levels, man. We can't afford to not be in the Champions League. Yeah, well, I don't disagree, obviously. I think stadium revenue and fans is a smaller percentage than these fees. I was just trying to see what and how close the percentage was. But no, very good points made. Um yeah, I think we'll uh, expand that a little bit more as we go on because there's obviously been answers um, from the board from the Tottenham Hall supporters trust questions. But just to kind of round off the, the transfer window, um, Dave, and I'll come back to you, obviously we secured Dan Juma on loan after it emerged that we were like, this close to signing Gerard Delefeu. We went for Dan Juma after Dofo's injury, and then we had some departures as well. So, I mean, how would you sum it up in terms of your opinion of our business and how would you grade it, you know, out of 10? Well, I think for me, I would have liked to have seen more. <clears throat> well, you never know how much effort there actually was, you know, in, in certain directions. But I feel like, you know, if you go into, going to the games this year, <clears throat> we're playing quite deep, you know, compared to where we... we we would like to see our team on the pitch and we're succumbing to individual errors, left, right and centre. Um, we're hardly beaten off the pitch in terms of like blown away by a team. It's our own errors that let a team get into the game or get that first goal, second goal, whatever. Um, and then they just force us to break them down. Again, like I said earlier, we've, been, we've had limited potency on, on the right-hand side or and even on the left at some point. Um so I wanted to see a centre-back. I wanted to see even just more I mean, rumours or whatever, but just there didn't seem to be as much effort. I know they're talking about, you know, going big in the summer, whatever. But I do worry for that still moving forward, even with a Pedro Porro, because, you know, that is the excitement about his arrival is not because he's a defensive player or, you know, he's a better defender than this one or whatever. It's all about going forward. And again, that can help because when you do play high up the pitch, there's less chance for um, maybe goal scoring opportunities to be created from mistakes. And, you know, you can kind of help your team by having the possession in the opposition's half. Um, but yeah, overall it was a bit like, okay, you know, cause I wanted to, especially I think this season, knowing there was a world cup, knowing that we had a bit of a, there was a little break. You would have thought maybe there was a bit more kind of conversation around different targets, but it seemed like we only had the one, and Dan Juma was, you know, almost like a lucky break. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, who was it? Everton. 
had him lined up. Everton did all the legwork for us, <laughs> did, did everything for us, paid for his flights, paid for his expenses, paid for his girlfriend's Valentine's flowers, everything. And we just came in and said, yep, yeah, we'll take that. Um, the hotel bookings in our name. <laughs> you know? So, you know, we've got him and, and he looks to be, you know, an exciting player. I've watched him a few times in the Champions League. Um, he doesn't seem to kind of shy away from, you know, bigger games. Um, and I think that it's almost auto-correcting what I now, you know, can safely say was a mistake in terms of buying Richarlison to play out wide. I don't understand that. I don't understand why we've got Richarlison as a as the first option off the bench to go, you know, in the wide areas. He doesn't thrive there, never has done. Um, you've seen him for Brazil. He looks definitely more comfortable in the middle. Um, and we've we've kind of limited him very much so by putting him out wide. Dan Juma definitely seems like a better option for that. He's he's skillful. He, you know, he likes to take on players, etc. Just like we've seen with Brian Gill, but different to dear old Brian. Um, Dan Juma definitely seems to be like he can stand up in in a you know on a cold windy night in Stoke, as, as they used to say. Um, so yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how he's used. Um, but I feel like it does bring a bit of experience to the front line. Um, definitely off the bench in terms of you know like he's played in the Champions League and that. In terms of departures, obviously, <laughs> you know the the hotly debated Jed Spence, um, not just on the pod but definitely across fans. And um, the more we suffered watching Emerson Royale and and um, Matt Doherty play football, everyone clamoured for Jed Spence. Um, I think I mentioned it the other day in the group. Of you know, could it be a a blessing in disguise for him to have had this kind of quote-unquote time off from men's football in the sense that, you know, a lot of times we see these young, fast, quick players come into the league, make that jump up and within a few seasons getting the muscular injuries, those kind of things. Is it a case that, you know, I'm not saying it was intentional, but inadvertently, you know, his his career's maybe been helped in these, these emerging years you can get used to a bit of football now. He's got six months in France. Let's see how it pans out. Um, but the only reason why I think people are okay with that move is because we got Poro coming in. You know, if we were left with Royale and, and Doherty, I think there would have been an uproar on the 31st. So, and then the whole Matt Doherty thing, you know, the whole loan and then cutting him and being, you know, getting that wrong. I don't really care about whether they, they did their maths or not. What more for me is the fact that they actually cut him. Because one thing I've always spoken about in terms of our rebuild is that it's taken so long because we don't make those kind of ruthless decisions. We don't turn around and say, right, Eric Dyer, this ain't working. You you need to find yourself a new club. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't make those kind of things. So for me, I've always been like, the rebuild is not just by buying players. It's not about, you know, and we'll get onto the their response to the uh, supporters' trust. You know, oh, we've spent X, Y, we've done this, we've done that, we've, we've we've gone in and maybe they haven't worked. That's all well and good. But you see these players making these mistakes. You know, I think I was talking to someone else in a different group chat earlier today and I was like, when we, you know, after the World Cup, the World Cup, the um, Champions League final 2019, and then we're not winning away from home from um, Harry Wink's late winner against Fulham um, all the way to October when Mourinho wins at, at West Ham, that 10-month span, there's a transfer window in the middle of that. 
that's when you get rid of Hugo. That's when you get Hugo Luis's replacement. We're now four years on and we still don't know what's happening. There's no essence of a plan or whatever to to get past some of these players. And I think we, we hold on too long. Maybe it's that whole kind of dear old Tottenham kind of thing. We have a bit of insecurity, like, oh, you know, these are loyal players, etc. I need to see more ruthlessness moving forward. So to summarise everything, I feel like, yes, even though it was good business to get Poro in and I was happy that it got completed and Dan Juma looks like he'll be a nice little talent to have, you know, I know it's on loan. I'm more thinking about things that people that need to leave the club and also that centre-back position. Could we have done more? Don't know. Maybe if we had a bit more clarity with him, I don't know if Paratici, if the whole thing affected his movements and his negotiations, but, you know, <clears throat> I wanted to see a little bit more on that side. It's funny you mentioned that about Paratici as well. I only really started seeing him again and seeing that he was active again after that whole decision came out from yeah, his court case. Yeah. Before that, I, I don't remember seeing him. No, nah, and, and that's why I thought, oh, maybe, I don't know, maybe they were waiting for that to give a bit of clarity. Who, okay, you know, you're not going to go in to make a deal on the 5th of Jan knowing that in four or five days, you know, the whole thing might go tits up because you've got to now get someone else to negotiate a different negotiating style. I don't, I don't know what they were waiting for, but it did seem to be that like as soon as he got the, you can still do business in England, he was then back on his phone, you know, on the sidelines. Did they, pull a, they, did they pull a, in the eyes of the law, you're innocent like United did? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we... Like, let's be honest. Let's be honest. The guy's a crook. <laughs> like, yeah. listen, like, I'm not. Not let's not be around him. The guy is a crook. The guy is a crook, and he, he's the only hope I have. You know, I don't really care for him as a person. The only hope I have is that his um, deceit doesn't extend to Romero's deal with us and Kulisevsky and Vendor, like those things that don't get affected, and the club gets affected in that way. Um, but there's no, there's no doubt that he's 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 been crooked. Um, over the years, and yeah. it's catching up with him. Um, let's see what happens moving into the summer. Um, I'm sure there'll be more things to come out over the next six months. Um, Conte might have to get a new wig at this rate, you know, the amount of crap that's happening to him in his life, yes. <laughs> um, month after month after month. So let, let's see. But yeah, it did, it did seem to be that as soon as he got the, you know, we're not going to ban you in England. He, he he was a bit more visible. Mad, mad. And yeah, it was obviously a good summary of our deals. I'm still not even sure where Dan Juma is going to fit, but he he does excite me a little bit. Um, don't know if that's a pause or not again, but I <laughs> thought he looked very sharp. He pressed and albeit the, the opposition probably wasn't great. Um, yeah, I, I'm... I, I think he'll obviously be better off the wing, like you said, than uh, Richarlison, Dave. Although I do think Richarlison playing off Kane can and should still work as long as it's kind of off the left of Kane. Off the right, it's... Do you still, do you still think Kulisowski should play uh, right wing back then? I'd like to see that again. I saw it again against uh, Man City as well, I believe. I was going to put it in the group chat, but I thought, okay, I'll let it speak for itself and see if we managed to get a goal. Uh, we didn't. We didn't. Wrong, but wrong, I'm wrong glad that Conte is still kind of looking to that as an option. 
Um, I think it's good. Honestly, I, I I don't know how good Dan Juma is off the right either. So apparently he can play there, but we heard the same about Richarlison as well. Richarlison actually played well there in pre-season as well, I thought. Um, it just did not translate to the Premier League. I think he shoved Son over to that right-hand side at some point because the only goals he's scoring is cutting in on his left anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, it might be a good switch. And um, obviously with our next fixture being Man City, he scored a goal similar to that um, under Nuno at home. Our last home fixture against Man City as well, funny enough, off the right using his left uh, past Edison. Who knows? Um, on, on, that window, sorry, sorry. On, on, on that window, I think I I know there's a lot of like disappointment more than anything. Obviously, the centre-backs get mentioned every window. Um, I do honestly think that Conte is somewhat, somewhat to blame for it because the messaging has consistently been that he feels quite content with what we have back there. Dai yeah, has been dropped once true. during this period, and it was through like necessity more than anything. You could tell that he was a bit mentally and physically burnt out after the string of mistakes, um, but he reinstated him straight away. And and honestly, rightly so, because as, as much as people don't like him, in terms of what we do have, he is what the second the second best centre-back that we have if uh, Romero doesn't get a shot of cocaine or a line of cocaine before the game. So, I mean, honest to God, I think I, I didn't believe that we were going to go to market for a centre-back because all of the players that we've been linked to either have opportunities elsewhere or have flatly stated that they're not leaving uh last window or this window. So I feel like we spend the summer trying to get that right. That's number one. Number two is I feel like I'm 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 content as long as we go for quality over quantity. We've had two magnificent sevens that haven't worked. Why why would we look to do that again? Like we've seen over over the last few January windows really that when we get it right in January we can transform our season. And if those players are the right quality, they present present an opportunity to actually establish a new core to the side. Um, when you do couple that in with Dave's point about being quite ruthless in departures, if you streamline the squad and you have players of higher quality who become reliable lieutenants, as people like to say, then you build a stronger squad moving forward. So obviously with the season playing out the way that it has, it is, I understand how everyone isn't jumping for joy i for one am not but at the same time going in with a little bit of balance you trim the players that aren't really contributing you hopefully get two players that establish themselves as uh, perennial first teamers and then you go into the summer with a better picture of the strengths and weaknesses of your squad and then hopefully you don't tottenham it up and you go out and you actually do the business that we need to get done yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I love how you stopped just short of saying Spursy there. Tottenham mm-hmm. it up being a new uh, new saying. Um, yeah, just to summarise it as well. Um, I think Spence and Hill got good loans, to be honest. I was a bit... 
<laughs> miffed at uh, Hill going back out on loan. Even though I felt like he was just kicking on Spence, I could see coming to be honest. And um, it's a good loan in the sense that apparently Stad Rene's um, right back has just had a serious injury, so he should go straight into the team. The bar is in hell for us to be clamouring for a guy that's played four Premier League games this season. One good performance against Crystal Palace and everyone wants Brian Hill to get more minutes. It's like, fucking hell, man. We spoke about this before, man. Like, our fixation with these these young players to come in and be the saviour of Tottenham Hotspur is a sickness, man. For me, when it came to what I was hoping Hill's role would be, obviously looking to kick on, but as just a backup to Kulisevsky and someone that can drive with the ball on the right and create space even through um, if it's just through his dribbling alone. I know his final ball's not great. His shooting doesn't look great either, mind, but he seems like um, he had acknowledged his physical attributes aren't up to the Premier League standard and he's all of a sudden become much more aware and sharper when it comes to receiving the ball. He's always aware of now kind of who's pressing him where a teammates are on the pitch he seems to just be thinking a lot quicker and he had a obviously a great game only against Palace Conte was I, right I, about I, him I agree with your points about his his development in terms of we started to see indications of what we needed to see yeah I just wanted to say I just didn't want him to be seen as saving Spurs but just be a useful member of the squad when it comes to being someone who can occupy Kulisevsky's role when he's tired or injured or what have you that was the only point i, I was gonna I, make. I, feel, I feel you to a point but if if i'm looking at brian hill as i said before like the saving grace for spence and saw were that they had man bodies right they at the very least can be a physical presence in some capacity in the squad you can throw them on and you're not gonna you're not gonna worry about them keeping up with the tempo of a game physically right with hill not only was it a little bit of a alarming spotlight seeing him just get ragdolled. It's <laughs> every game that he's played, he's just got ragdolled. Even against Palace, he was getting ragdolled, but ended up having a few moments where he looked competent. Like that whole time and space thing, he's going to have to get to Bernardo Silva levels or David Silva levels or Luka Modric levels of being able to be two steps ahead of play at all times in order to even be a competent player for us. Like, his IQ has to extend so far away from where it is now in order for him to be successful at Spurs that I'd rather him just develop elsewhere. And then on, yeah. on, on the case of Spence, it's, it's a similar thing. I think the, the pressure of being... Like, of all the games Spence has played or had cameos in, literally all I've seen him do is progress up the pitch. Like, not he doesn't look particularly dynamic to me. I've not seen him put a cross in or complete a cross. Not really seen him do tricks and flicks and all of that stuff. He's played it really, really safe. And we don't need that. But can you blame him, though? I mean, he's only been given, like, a couple of minutes to impress in every game. It's it's not about the blame at, at this point. It's just... The, the fact of the matter is, is people are still saying he's a better option than Emerson Royale, who's played considerably more football than him and whose main deficiency is in the final third, right? 
his primary deficiency is the fact that he's a coward when it when he gets to the final third. He can't deliver a, a good pass, right? Outside of that, though, Spence hasn't had an opportunity to show that he's better than Matt Doherty. He's not shown that he's better than Ryan Sessegnon on the other side. Like, in training, we don't know what's happening. Anytime he has got an opportunity, he's not actually played right wing back. So I think it's a good thing to actually get alone to play real football. Like, I I never saw Jed Spence as the answer to any of our problems before or after he actually signed for Spurs. So it's like, it is what it is. It just is what it is with that guy. Like, I want him to be successful, but do I expect that he's going to be successful at Spurs just because we've got Emerson Royale in the squad? Hell no. Because sometimes sometimes being able to put yourself in the right position defensively keeps you on the pitch. And being able to link up with the likes of Kulusevsky and progress the ball up the pitch outweighs the fact that you can't play a final ball, clearly in Conte's eyes. So, again, it's one of those ones. I'd rather the chaos. I'd rather the chaos. It's fun. Dave, what were you going to uh, come in there? Yeah, it's. I, I hear what Sai is saying, and, and as ever, Sai usually makes sense. But um, I don't know. I, there, there was something. Yeah, okay. I, I do feel like there was a hesitancy um, when Spence came on, and maybe it's a case of you know overthinking because we we know what Conte is notorious for um, giving out a lot of information uh, to his to his players, let alone just in one position. There's, there is a lot to process. There's a lot, you know, you need to be here, you need to be there. I think it's why Hoiberg still gets minutes. I think he's just learned the playbook. Um, he doesn't, he can't actually execute it, but he's an offensive coordinator uh, word to the Super Bowl next week. Um, yeah, point. The point. Oh, man. No, Thank no, you for extending that reference, by the way, because I, I was lost again. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so he's, you know, <laughs> Lord, I don't know why I've just mentioned that guy because he's making me sick. Um yeah, so I, I think, you know, the, the, it seemed to be that when he did come on for those two minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, whatever, that there was an element of overthinking and a bit of hesitancy. I don't know. Um, he also came on, there was one game, I think it was the Aston Villa game when he came on um, in the forward line. Um, just in, He's done that twice. Is it? Oh, I, I can remember the second time. But yeah, I remember, obviously, we were there at the game. And seeing that was a bit strange, but you know, it's it's we, we'll never know what these six months could have been or or not, um, due to his involvement or not. Do you know what I mean it's like we just have to move on now? And I think you know a, a little bit more ruthlessness over the coming um, two or three um, transfer windows. We'll start to see some of these players who are clearly not up to the standard of what we need and they weren't two three years ago um start to leave the club we'll be able to get hopefully better quality in or just fresh quality someone who's not been running to the ground by 150 premier league games or whatever and someone who can just do something a little bit different and give us a better base to build from um, i always say you know when it comes to building a squad you don't need I mean, it's great if you do have everyone to be world-class. Obviously, we saw that with Real Madrid in the early 2000s with the Galacticos and whatever. But from your best player to your worst player, that gap can't be too big. And if you look at the Premier League, they, 
most teams in the Premier League have a player that you have to watch out for. Fulham, Mitrovic, okay, when they first came up. But now they've come up again. They've put a few pieces around him who won't walk into a top six team, but the gap between him and them is not as big. Pereira, um, even like William, he's having a bit of a renaissance, that kind of thing. So now they can compete higher up the table because the gap between top to bottom is not as big. And I think one thing that is glaring with our team, and this is our first 11, let alone our squad, is the gap on the pitch between our best players. Yes, our best players and our worst players. Is that true at current? Mate, true at present. Personally, seeing how they're playing in this system, I don't trust anyone like Davies, Dyer, Hugo. I'm seeing them going, bruv, you're whack. Yeah, but Son and Kane Kane are supposed to be the player to watch out for, and neither one of those are performing either. That's what I'm saying. So I'm not, that's the thing. The reason why the gap can't be too big is because when your better players aren't performing, you need to have the next level of players be able to step step up. Do you know what I mean? So when you have a song go on this this six month barren dry run, who's next? Now obviously we haven't had Kulisevsky, you know, to chip in because he's been injured, whatever the case may be. But the reason why you don't want that massive spread between best to worst is because when the best have a bad game and they don't score for three games or you know they're they're missing through suspension or injury, whatever. You've got a competent first eleven where you can just change one or two players and you're fine. With us, we can't even take that risk because I think the gap in quality is too big, which is why I think Son is getting 90 minutes. Now, arguably, you could have said, you know, uh, Charleston could have come in either or whoever. I don't know. You know, obviously, Conte makes his decisions. But I feel like that's where we need to get to Um with our transfer windows and the ruthlessness in terms of getting people out so that the quality level is a bit closer between top to bottom. So if Kane had a bad month or, you know, so-and-so is out with injury, whatever, Benton Kier's obviously got nicked um, at the World Cup, we're not looking around going, you're telling me our, our most experienced midfielder or our best midfielder is Hoiberg at the moment. That just can't be the way. So let's see how it progresses. Um and and let's see what happens next year. Obviously, we know we've got Destiny, um, Yodoji coming in from Italy, um, <clears throat> at left wing back. Do we keep hold of Spence? I feel like we'll probably give him at least another year or two. Um, he'll be at the club. Let's see what happens. Poro, Destiny, does Cesc get let go? Does Davies get let go? And we just start tightening, tightening things up quality-wise. That would be uh, something to look out for. Um, yeah, the, the bar is on the floor, and the floor is of the squad is um, yeah, it's withering at the moment, I guess. How would you rate the transfer window out of ten? Four no, for a four. Fair enough. You felt like we could have signed a centre back in the window to boost that up, or maybe even say that, but even just getting players in earlier, I feel like things has got longed out. And, you know, could we have maybe got players that's in there? That's one, why I changed my score, actually. Um, what difference yeah, is if we got Porro in earlier when Sporting weren't, weren't willing to? Yeah, I know. Um, obviously, it's, but this is hindsight is twenty twenty. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what was going on in the negotiation rooms. I don't know what was happening. So 
I'm just saying. Just asking. Just asking. Yeah, I'm not. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you, brother. I hear you. Um, but no, I'm like I just. I would have preferred to have them in a bit earlier, but maybe that's because I prefer not to watch Emerson Royale play football. So, hey. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you've got to look at the games we played in January as well. Like We played Arsenal, Man City, Fulham, obviously, which we won, and well, Preston. Um, ideally, I think we could have probably got Poro in at the start of the window. However, because money talked, we would have probably had to pay upwards of 50 million plus to kind of turn their heads a bit and then they would have done it at the start of the window and then it was just a case of just haggling down and down to what was rumoured to be, I guess, his clause price to release him, which didn't end up really existing to the summer, apparently. There's been so much kind of news fed from like journalists and clubs, uh, mouthpieces and stuff. It's hard to know what the truth is, but I mean, you've seen it from other clubs in this window. If you kind of stump up the higher fee earlier, then you can secure the player earlier. Um, so it's a weird one. Um, before I give my rating, Si, what would yours be? Uh, it's mid out of 10, uh, a rating. Um, I don't know, man. Uh... Say so mid out of 10. <laughs> yeah, mid out of 10. Um, on, honestly... Six and and I am being a little bit generous because I feel like if Poro is what we think he is, you just secured somebody who who ultimately changes changes the dynamic of a whole component of your team. Like Kulusevsky having a thirty guy to partner with and do the underlap overlap uh, switches is different gravy. We have now built around for me, who is our best player. Mm. What is there to complain about? And then in terms of Dan Juma, again, it's it's a little bit dependent on how we balance this squad. Do we change formation to accommodate? I hope not. Um, does he play on the right hand side if Kulisevsky's out? Maybe. Does he play on top in, up top instead of uh, Rashalison? Potentially, um, so that one's a bit of a free hit, but Poro alone is a marquee signing for Tottenham Hotspur, so I'm all for it, mate. Fair enough. I Does thought he'd be harsh. Concerns about his defensive ability. Uh, if if uh, Romero actually defends, then then it shouldn't matter as much. <laughs> like the system is designed for for there to be cover in those wide areas. If you play the right person on that right-hand side of midfield, they should cover that space. And Romero should pull his finger out and not get caught uh, on the ball every time it's in the air. And then maybe we'll be okay. If everyone does their job, I mean, personnel isn't as much of an issue to me as, as it is to everybody else. That's God's cool. honest. I only bring that up because there was a conversation in the group chat on whether what 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 the win back is ideally supposed to do and is he supposed to like do we care if he is great defensively or not or can we make similar concessions for someone like Poro like Liverpool did with a a better performing Trent for example um, if he's that good creatively which is obviously what Conte's system is designed to to ideally get creativity from the wing backs 
as opposed to uh, midfield or what I will say, our own what, striker. What I will say is Poro, Poro cannot be a carbon copy of Perisic, both going forward and going back. Then I'll be pissed, right? Then I'll be looking for us to play Emerson, if I'm honest. Um, because this whole idea that wing-backs are just supposed to be forward-thinking is... It's ridiculous. They're supposed to be box to box. So when we criticize Hoybier for the fact that he's shit going forward and he's shit in defensive situations, right? Like it's because he is the box to box player in this team and he does neither job well. Right. So if Poro is a mirror of that or is a mirror of Perisic on the other side who can't defend a uh, can't defend a lamppost, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> then we're in trouble. We're going to see more defensive mistakes because our backline is not its not that good. Um, I don't think it's as bad as other people do, but if you've got people like Romero making mistakes, Dyer making mistakes, Davis or Longley making mistakes, and your wing-backs can't defend, then you're, you're in trouble. Fair. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, um, let's move on. I was going to say... I've- it as a six out of ten, just purely because we signed a marquee player for what's a position which we're obviously dying for. Dan Juma, I like the look of him. We've got our players some good loans. I was going to put it at a seven, but just the time taken to get the pro deal avoid, done. He avoid Jack being seven out of ten for the rest of the year. Yeah, <laughs> another reason why I downgraded it. Okay, I'll yeah. say six point eight. <laughs> um. But no, I'd say a high six is purely just we we got a pretty crucial player and um yeah signing him him on FM sent me on a really really good run as well so <laughs> I'm I'm hoping um I'm hoping he'll have a similar effect um the Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust were asking our board questions over the course of the transfer window obviously bringing up concerns about our manager not committing, our spend not spending, um, naming rights for the stadium um, and all of that. Just just the general direction that the club was being questioned and the club said throughout, you know, we're going to wait until the end of the window and then we'll answer your questions. And I guess true to their word, um, they eventually did. Asking questions again, like... Um, Referring to, I guess, Conte's uh, comments in press conferences about the ambition of the club and the lack of spending, or perceived lack of spending, I should wear it as. Um, are you satisfied with the player recruitment? Um, does the club have a plan for further investment to ensure the club remains, remains competitive on the pitch in the face of substantial additional investment by other Premier League clubs? And is there a plan from further investment from Enic or other potential investors or buyers? Um, I assume both of you have probably seen some of the answers um, and some of the reactions from fans, mainly on Twitter, to some of these answers to their questions. Um, I mean, I'll come to you first, Dave. Like, Was there anything that stood out from from those answers from the board? No, because it's what I expected. You know, it's I, I don't I don't really rate the, the um supporters trust and, and some of the stuff they do anyway. Um but 
it's very non-committal in some areas. Um, they do focus a lot on this idea of financial sustainability. Um, and, and we have to be aware that, you know, like Sai mentioned earlier, you know, the, the stadium was built at the time it was built. The pandemic hit at the time it hit. You know, like, there's so many different things that will affect the way we move, um, which is why I always look on the other side of it when it comes to these transfer windows, just getting players out. Do you know what I mean? It's not you going out and going, right, 65 million on this player, as much as that would be great. And yes, if need be, if you're if you're in a negotiation for a player that you know is 65 mil and you're going in there with 59 million and, and a penny, then yes, I am going to want to see a bit more commitment. But not every player has to be that, you know, case in point. Our record signings have always flopped from Davinson Sanchez to Lo Celso to Ndombele. You know, like... It's not even about the, the amount of money spent. For me, it's always about the flip side. And so I felt maybe even if I'm going to pick one thing, it's about the in question three, you know, satisfied with player recruitment and performance of the youth teams, younger players through to the first team. You know, they're talking about a clear pathway. I don't think there is. I, I, I'm not. I don't get the sense that there was a clear pathway from academy into first team. Um, maybe Isn't that based on the manager, though. Yeah, and that's on, and that's what I was about to say. Like, right. you've then got a manager who is not known for that. That is nowhere near. But it's not even like you know. When you just think if I just you know you know kind of like a my career kind of thing. You just boost a couple attributes, and I'm close to that. No, no, no. Conte is so far away from. I'm going to now call Alfie Devine and say, yo, come and help me out. Yes, we've seen, you know, a bit with Saar, but Saar was brought in, you know, and Saar's played, what, two seasons, if not more, of, of men's football in, in France or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's a completely different. And then, obviously, we know what's happened with Spence. So, <clears throat> you've got a manager who's not known for, for doing that, but you're saying that is what you're ensuring. That's a, that's a big statement to make. Um, but like, I want to I want to hear more about why are these players still at my club. <laughs> like, why am I still watching the same errors and same players that you know got our beloved Pochettino um, fired or whatever got the sack? And you're all ruthless doing that. And then Mourinho comes in, and you're ruthless getting rid of Mourinho six days before the League Cup final. But you know, still got certain players in there knocking around at the club. So I wanted to more focus on that. There wasn't the the questions were maybe a little bit safe and the, and the answers were safe as well. Um, so it, it just kind of is what it is, really. Um, just a bunch of politicians chatting. Yeah, um, like I I kind of echo that sentiment with. Um what you were saying about getting club direction and it not being about just just solely how much we spend because I think a lot of our fans or most of our fans look at that in in much too rigid of a way. So I think what needs to be asked is um essentially just a better way of questioning so it's like okay what direction have you got and are you going to flip-flop on strategy again when you obviously you've signed Mourinho, then you went for a rebuild process, then you signed Conte, flip-flopped again, and now you're... I mean, you've got to have a plan in place in your minds to 
obviously you're signing players and then you've got a contingency plan for them as well, where you look at the Mourinho summer window and there's only one player from that as well, I think. And that player is Hoybjerg. Um <laughs> So it's just like, okay, we'll, I think we've been doing better at getting rid of players since Paratici's joined. And we're on the right path now, but there doesn't seem to be that much clarification on it. It's just like we've backed our football side. They actually were it. It's like we've clearly backed our football side. It's just like, okay, you've said that in the sense, okay, you've spent money, but I mean, in another uh, sense, it's like, can you can you expand on it? But I don't know, Sai, like, have you got something uh, on that? This, this is this is definitely going to get uh, revisited in the group chat with a bunch of voice notes for the X-rated version. But uh, the questions read like a Karen questionnaire. It's is like <laughs> know, know your audience. You're bringing a knife to a gunfight with a PR team and a board of executives who have to do pitches and answer the hard hitting questions every damn day, like. So so much of this is wrong from like a a wording standpoint, and also like they're backed into a corner. If you're if you're too abrasive, they're not answering anything, right? So this whole relationship needs revision, and the fan base needs to figure out who our actual spokespeople are, and not just allow it to be some self-anointed people. Ultimately, uh, or at least from my ignorant standpoint, that's what it looks like. Second of all, there's too many similarities in the types of questions. I mean, if you're asking the club about medium and long-term goals, we saw over the last two years now, we've seen a documentary where Daniel Levy has sat and spoke, spoken about it. Do you think he's going to have continuity errors? Is he is he a DC movie? No, he's not, right? We know that this guy is good at putting out consistent messages. He's also brought in Paratici, who at the end of every window does interviews about the vision of the club. And then last but not least, they've been way more transparent in terms of just doing press release after press release to stem the flow of getting these types of questions asked. So we're, we're, we're creating like this redundant uh, line of information back to the fan base, we know what their stance is. We know that their priority was always facilities and the infrastructure of the club. So if you ask about that, you're going to get that answer, right? So it's, it's, it's quite alarming to me. It just goes to show that, like, there's not a lot of thought put into what it is that people actually want to know. It's more we're doing something get off our backs as a supporters trust because they come under a lot of scrutiny for how much pressure they put on the club. The second thing for me is I don't actually have a, an issue with anything that the club have said. Not a single word of it because they're a business. <laughs> they're a business and, and ultimately this isn't a football first board Right, they've addressed the fact that they've tried to put footballing people in footballing op operations, and that they've tried to make improvements, which they have. Snitching isn't isn't running around trying to pull deals. You now have Spangly Man Paratici. Like it's it's 
it's an exercise in excellence of uh, batting away pesky uh, supporters, to be perfectly honest. And do I agree with that? Not entirely. But do I respect it? Hell yeah. Because... <laughs> 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 because the fact the fact of the matter is is the club have spent they just haven't spent well which they state in this yeah they state it. we had the conversation yesterday in the group chat about the exit about um what was it about the the the, 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 the long-term short-termism right the last the last like four or five big signings so the big fees uh you're talking Davinson Sanchez, Tonguyon Dembele, Lacelso. Uh, you can put um let's throw Soldado in that, for example. Lamella. Lamella was the one before. Lamella that. in that. Let's even put Brian Hill in that. That was a player plus 20 plus mil. Then when you look at uh, people like um who's who's the latest one? Uh Richarlison. These aren't guys that are transformative for the club. Their fees don't equate to performance on the pitch, not at all. So us asking the club to spend more money when we've been given a catalogue of evidence to suggest that big spend doesn't equate to footballing improvements, it's an exercise in futility. It's like, go on, go and keep making the same mistake twice. It's like, they spent money. They spent money last year. Everyone got gassed about the war chest. We knew that Romero needed to be made permanent, but no one did the maths. They just got excited. It's like giving a giving giving your uh, missus your credit card and just saying go and buy what you want, but your credit limit is 150 pounds. It's like, what's she getting for that? You get to the nail salon and get sent away. It's like you burnt all the money just on one thing. It's like be realistic. Be realistic. You know the market. 150 million now gets you a winger that was supposed to go to Arsenal and was flirting for six weeks. Like, that's what it gets you in this market. We're spending 60 million on Richarlison. Like, we don't spend well in those big figures. We need to go back to our model of buy young, develop, use the infrastructure, create pathways, sell for profit eventually. We need to go back to that. And we need to be okay with fans until we start actually seeing changes in the commercial aspects of business. Simple ads. I only disagree slightly with the last bit, only because I think the only teams in this market currently, until I guess new FFP rules come in that can buy our players, which we'd probably potentially sell them for profit, are probably going to be other Premier League clubs. And I'm somewhat glad we've moved on from selling to our rivals, or namely Manchester United. Like a lot of people turn around and say, oh, we, we should have sold Eric Dyer for 50 million to Manchester United, which I guess in hindsight um, would have been a, maybe like a, a decent decision. But I'm glad we've moved on from selling the likes of a Berbatov who we sold for triple the amount we bought him for and stuff like that to who we are seen to be Premier League rivals. I'm not on this whole selling to Premier League rivals. Let, let me let me let me clarify. So selling to rivals okay. and selling for profit are distinctly different for me. If you look at a Delhi, Delhi was sold for profit and we squeezed every bit of life out of that kid. If we look at yeah. uh Christian Eriksen for example, we didn't get profit from it, but we squeezed every 
I'm not going to go there because if I say we squeeze every bit of life out of him, it's in bad taste. But, but if we go through the list of players that we bought for relatively reasonable prices, we tend to get more lifespan out of them and it's less of a hit to our system as, as, as a club from an infrastructure standpoint and also a fan base because the disappointment isn't as high, right? If you look at, if you look at someone like Otongi, if we sell him for 15 mil, everyone's going to lose their shit. Whereas if we sell Harry Winks for 7 mil, everyone's going to go, we made a profit. So there is a little bit of that middle ground, that perspective piece that, again, as football fans, we sometimes ignore. Selling to your rivals is distinctly different from buying, like supplementing your squad with cheaper players and being able to sell them on for money that goes back into the pot without you losing anything from the footballing side. But we need to we need to be prudent and we need to spend money wisely. If that means 47 mil for, for a Poro, fine. If it means a 30 for Kulisevsky, I'm all for it. Those are now the standard fees. But if we're going to market for 80 million pound players who in two years are going to depreciate in value, Tottenham Hotspur doesn't work like that. So let's not do it anymore. Yeah, I, I guess, again, it likely depends on the player as well because if you'll say if you'd say a Jusko Cavadio cost that much and we're looking to be interested in making that deal in the summer I'd take that I'd spend 80-90 million on him easily he's, he's probably short. won't sell him for profit he's but short. <laughs> he'll make a he'll make a really good addition to our team he's a centre-back he's a centre-back like exactly, he's, he's like this, uh... he's like Tobes five eleven. Let's put it that way. Like Tobes' version of five eleven. Don't know. He was pretty imposing at the World Cup. I mean, how many tall players are there now, really? <laughs> give me, give me like an old-fashioned six foot, six foot three uh, centre back, please. At least one in our back line. Someone with some aerial presence, please. There's your Eric Dyer there. He'll stay. He'll stay now. Um... Yeah, get Dave. I guess I'll come to you. Obviously, with um, obviously some of the answers. Obviously, we're gonna uh, try and wrap this up a bit quicker now. We've gone past the hour mark, but in some of the answers they alluded to, obviously they have made better changes to their recruitment. They have obviously they've overhauled the scouting system. They've hired a new head of methodology, who's I guess tasked with creating a new pathway for under 21 players to come into the first team. And we obviously still have a director of football who has seen um, tangibles of improvement on the football operations side of things. Are you kind of happy and content with the direction we've taken in, I guess, the last 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's been more positive than I think. I think you know, overall, if you rate each window, I think you know you can say there's been more of a positive feel to it. Whether it's you know over five out of ten for most of them. Um, let's not go all the way to eight because we know some members of the NSO will have issue with that. But you know you get a six out of ten, seven out of ten, six out of ten. If you know three windows like that compared to what we were dealing with before, you know obviously that infamous transfer window where we didn't sign anyone and, you know, just, you know, we, we had some real duds, 
you know, over the, over the past five to ten years, if not longer. So there definitely seems to be a little bit more direction. The the kind of thing that takes getting some getting used to is you know Paratici's model open to everyone, like buying drinks for the whole bar, like <laughs> if, you know literally he's buying drinks for everyone and then making you know doing a little hopscotch dance before he picks one at the end. Um, so that can be a bit weird, but what I do like is the way that Paradigm does come out at the end and say, right, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm about. He is a visible presence. I know some people don't like that. Some people don't think, you know, he's he's doing enough. He's just more performative. Um, but whilst we have him outside of the jailhouse, um, let's let's just, you know, we can, we can see that he is putting in work um, to try it. And he mentioned it about, you know, rebuilding that that is at the forefront of their minds you know two to three players per window to rebuild the team um let's see what that looks like but whether they will have the ruthlessness we don't know and on the academy front it's always nice to see you know lads come through you know we were some some of us i don't know about everyone else because i wasn't on the nso at the time but you know i was excited to see tanganga come through um you know, now I didn't know I wasn't saying he was the next Leslie King or whatever, but it's nice to see a lad come through the, the academy, get a few starts, you know, work his way into the team. Um, but if I feel like I'm at this moment where, especially with the amount of money that's flowing around the top eight to ten teams in the Premier League, just get me quality, don't care if it's from the academy or not. If I don't see another academy player come through for the next five years but we qualify for the Champions League and we're competing for domestic cups or whatever I'm really not going to care like I genuinely won't care I know some of the legacy plans but oh, we're losing our touch with, the, with our, our core or whatever but I mean they're, they're the ones that they're the ones that get groaned the most every time they misplace a pass is the yeah, yeah that as well yeah so, we got we got to be mercenaries we got to be mercenaries so Let's see what happens. But if there is one that can come through, obviously we've all talked about, you know, Alfie Devine, you know, obviously Scarlett's away on loan. I think it's time to get rid of Troy Parrott, personally. Um, it's, it's between one of the two. And obviously this new kid that's coming from Chelsea. Um, I've seen him play a few times and he, he looks all right, but I'm not going around thinking he's the next Harry Kane, um, in, you know, anytime soon. So let's see what happens. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And this is this just reminded me of um, a kind of core youth or young players in the squad. Like, I think we actually have a good nucleus of young players. And I think we've seen evidence of us kind of doing both when it comes to signing, obviously, big-name players or bigger-name players for bigger fees and supplementing that with cheaper, younger signings like Udogi. I think... <laughs> like five good games in the first team and he'll be worth double what he is at least. Mm. Hapsar, same. Spence, even same. I think we could potentially get profit of him in the end. I mean, all it takes is literally five good games in this era, in the first yeah. team and, and that's literally it. I like, um, I like what I'm seeing from Saar. Exactly. Um, he's, I like It's a departure from what we've seen in the in the midfield. He can play football. Yeah, 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 and, he, and and he doesn't compromise on the physical side of things, mm-hmm. you know, like Brian Heedler, <laughs> the, the N17 Beetle. 
at all. At all. I think it's a high ceiling. All right. Um, all right. Let's move on to fully wrapping up the pod then because we've got quite a difficult March run of fixtures coming up. Um, obviously, our uh, our manager's just had um, a bit of surgery as well, so he probably won't be back until the AC Milan game. We've got Manchester City on Sunday, so that's the day after the audio version of this pod comes out. Um, boy, initial predictions. And this is bearing in mind, Poro will probably start against his, his former club. Uh, so I'll go with you first, Dave. Um... Two two, fucking hell! <laughs> but this is bearing in mind, and I I hate to put this into the universe. I really do, but I don't think Manchester City have scored at a new stadium yet. You know, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, oh, okay. setting us up for. So they're they're definitely scoring at our stadium. Yeah, they they will probably they're just end up tipping But no, I. I I don't even know why I think I just feel like we'll just get lucky against them like we usually do. Um, it's it's not going to be a great performance. I don't see us burning them away in any way. Um, I actually think they'll probably score first. Um, but they and even and even in the last game, I know we got end up getting pumped what four five two whatever it was in the end. Four two, yeah. Four, two. Um, they they are defensively they they have liabilities. Um, defensively they they can get be got at. Um. And we seem to find a way to get goals against them randomly. So let's see what happens. Um, but yeah, I'll go for a draw. Go on, uh, what are you saying? Harry Kane becomes a uh, top scorer is the only... Uh... It's the only prediction you're giving. <laughs> yeah. Like, listen. Ah. Uh... Some of the performances I've seen this season at home have been such a departure to what I'm used to. Like, we're losing this game, right? I don't think I've ever predicted a loss on this podcast. But we're getting fists up in this game. Not because City are fantastic, but because there's an atmosphere around the club at the moment, that makes every single attack just feel like it's about to end the world, like, genuinely. Like, any time a team attacks us, it feels like the ball is going in the back of the net and City is City, and I feel like they bang us, like, 3-1, at least, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm still going to be there. I'm going to enjoy it, uh, enjoy the chaos, um, I will not be singing a song for old Harry when he breaks the record. Um, but yeah, if we get proven wrong, I will be shameless here next week, singing and dancing about beating City, knowing that uh, Arsenal title will be looming in the background because of it. Um, but the game is the game, man. That's why we're here. <laughs> cool. Um I just have a quite basic prediction in the sense that I, I don't think I can see Perisic start this game as underwhelming as Sesson Young's been this season. And as much as uh, Dave has got me especially downbeat on him recently, 
uh, mentioned that obviously his injuries, recurring injuries in his youth, oh, yeah. they hampered his physical state to the point it probably well, can't done. be recovered. He's, he's, he's done, not going to be he's explosive done. ever again. Um, even though he even worked on it in pre-season as well, it's just not reaped rewards. If anything, he's he's been the worst version of Owen, him I've Owen, actually Owen, seen. Owen, 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 you're actually digging yourself a big hole because that's the thing. Like he's worked on it, done all that, and he's finished. Yeah, he this is what I'm. I'm just kind of going over it myself. I'm just like, <laughs> how has he been so bad this season? I put stocks, not many, but I put some stocks in this guy. I've been defending him in the group chat, even though he's been absolutely woeful this season. But at the same time, I just cannot see. Perisic get twisted up like that again on the left, unless he's getting better protection. Like I thought Ben Davis would be able to help him out better than he did against um, seeing the reverse fixture. But yeah, um, it, they literally won won that game because Pep told Mares at halftime, "Look, just attack down that side. Forget about our patterns of play. Forget about our tiki taka. Just get the ball, go at your man." And Pep also told up. everyone, uh, "What was it today?" Harry Kane is great despite not having any titles. Bro, Pep Guardiola says that's about every single player. And I even tweeted earlier, he would have said the same about Saldado from, I guess, his time in Valencia. Like, oh, he's a great player, great poacher. One of the best goal scorers I've ever seen. He says this shit all the time, which is why I love his tears so much. This was that was particularly disgusting, though, because uh, obviously there's the history of last summer. And he, yeah. he he put the little uh, wax stamp on the on the envelope and said, "Yeah, we've got Erling, and he's going to be here for a while." Kane, be happy with your decision over there at the Tottenham, the Harry Kane team, mate. Yeah, this guy's in the gulag for the rest of his career. Good riddance, mate. <laughs> <laughs> God, you really want to see all the chaos. Hey. He's in, um, he's in the Tottenham Penitentiary for the rest of his career. Sign that contract, buddy. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I cannot predict how this game is going to pan out. We've got every single player available, apparently. Um, no Conte on the sidelines, though. No, I don't know how much help that's actually going to be with him barking. As long as doesn't play Or a Sacramento. Um... <laughs> Jesus, oh, I'm no, going to go again, for a draw as well, you know. <laughs> I just can't see us losing a game against a team who we just tend to do well against. There's not much pressure, like you say about the atmosphere at the home uh, at home being quite quite bad in a sense that it just feels like every team's going to score against us. I feel like, obviously, I haven't even been to a stadium this season, but I feel like that happens much more often when we're the favourable team at home. Um, whereas no, again, no, 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 mate. We've just been trash. Sorry, Owen, whether it's home or away. I'm not even going to disagree with that either. Fair enough. We've been trash. Like, yeah, they, they will score. They, they will, as soon as they want to, <laughs> they will score, I feel like. Um, I just feel like there will be a little bit, a slice of luck um, on our side to get that 2-2 back. Inshallah. Yeah. I don't like seeing L's, but it is what it is. Man. I don't think we're a great it side. Is. But at the same time, I feel like City look a little bit dysfunctional. And 
even then, like we've been able to get at them. So it's it's a toss up. Like, a, yeah, on score, still go go with the draw. I love then, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> I love how it sounds so dejected, just <laughs> trying to predict one point from a game which we seem to get three points most seasons. Mad. Hope we do. Three point lane. No, nah, it's just not. Um, all right, well, that'll wrap up to tonight's recording. Um, thank you very much. Si and Dave, you've uh, made it so I haven't had to talk much, which is uh, fun by me as I'm absolutely shattered. Um, <laughs> I'll see you in the group chat. Again, uh, any listeners, try and catch us on the stream either Thursdays or Fridays or the audio pod is released every Saturday morning. Um, as you check out the main podcast and other uh, club-dedicated podcasts, it's content most days. Uh, but as for now, peace out. And belted into the net, put in goal. On debut, Tungay Ondombele has scored the equaliser for Spurs. Lucas Moura clips it. Oh, great goal! Stephen Bergwijn has arrived in North London. That is absolutely incredible on debut. Oh, yay! Podcast Network.